So what does wellness mean to you? Welcome to Wellness Wednesdays. I am your host, Eric Collard. This week, another special guest, all the way from sunny, sunny California, Evan Britton, retired NFL athlete and um, cannabis activist. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, man. Um, like I was mentioning before we started recording, I've been following your career and uh, even played with you a little bit on, on uh, the video on Madden on video games. And um, it's uh, it's it's funny to see you uh, see you pop up in a documentary I watched not too long ago uh, called Take Your Pills. But before we get into all this drugs, what's legal, what's not legal, what should be, and all that stuff, and I really looking forward to that conversation. Give us uh, the Coles Notes version of, of your career growing up, sports you played, obviously you played at a fairly high level, and uh, and what ended it all for you? Yeah, for sure. Um, so as long, for as long as I can remember, as far back as I can remember, I dreamed of playing in the NFL. I guess that probably started when I was, you know, six or seven years old. I remember being at my grandparents' house in Connecticut in the summer, watching on the local news. They had highlights from the Jets, the New York Jets and the Giants training camp. And I just remember thinking, you know, how much I wanted to do that. I wanted to be a pro football player. I wanted to, I had dreams of being a gladiator. Um, I didn't really know much about, you know, where, wh what I wanted to do with that. I didn't really, uh, you know, and at that time I wanted to be a quarterback, you know, all the, Who all the badass, yeah. <laughs> you know, all the, all the best players seem to be quarterbacks from that vantage point. So that's what I kind of wanted to do. Um, the problem was, you know, for from that time on until about my freshman year of high school, my mom, you know, refused to let me play. She was terrified of me getting hurt. Um, you know, she she saw the violence of the game and, and really just didn't want her son playing. And, you know, for good reason, looking back. Um, but eventually um, I convinced her along with my dad we convinced her to let me play and my first year of, of tackle football which was my first year of football ever was my freshman year of high school and um i started out that summer playing quarterback lasted about a week <laughs> before the coaches said hey man you know with your size and your athletic ability you could really have a future in this game playing offensive line and very hesitantly, I uh, made my move over to the offensive line uh, and defensive line, playing both ways. And I really realized that that was the, the spot I was born to play. Well, it's you funny because whenever we play high school football or, or any football for that matter, you're right. Quarterbacks get all the get all the glory. They get all the pretty girls and offensive linemen. No one yeah. ever talks about you. Most people don't know your name. I mean, I'm. Being a former offensive lineman myself, it's the same thing. Yes. And um, but it, it's just you know all the skill positions are the ones that get all the glory. But as you know more than anyone, if you're if you have a terrible offensive line, your your team doesn't matter how good of a quarterback is, he's probably gonna be spend most of the afternoon on his back. So yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, you can't do you can't get anything done on a football field if you don't have a great offensive line. 
Um, and you're not going to stop anybody if you don't have a good defensive line. So really, you know, like you said, even though those guys are getting all the glory, nothing good happens for those guys unless those guys in the trenches are a bunch of badasses. Um, and, you know, the position was really it was uh, it was very much tailored to me or I was tailored for it. You know, I was, uh, um, you know, a rough kid with a lot of rage in his in his heart at the time. You know, I had, you know, like any other kid, I, I had had my childhood struggles, um, always the biggest kid. Parents got divorced. My mom moved my brother and I across country um, away from, you know, everyone I knew, every everything I all my family members, all my friends the life that I had really come to understand to 11 years old was all taken away from me via this move. You know, thankfully, looking back, obviously, because I don't know if I would have played football had I stayed in Brooklyn. Um, And so offensive line, you know, I, I learned very quickly that I was praised for dominating other individuals. You know, I was praised for physically exerting my physical dominance over others, you know, destroying other people, other defensive linemen, you know, in the trenches, whether it was a flat back pancake or, you know, moving a guy out of the hole or keeping somebody from tackling, sacking my quarterback, you know, and I began to love it. And I had some great people around me, some great coaches who really continued to fuel the fire. And I had this singular vision still, you know, of making it to the NFL. And, you know, very lucky for me, um, I had two parents who were very um, holistically minded, to put it very generally. But, you know, what that meant was my mom was uh, outside of football. She was taking me to yoga classes. She got me a trainer where I lifted weights outside of my football team, you know, the other days of the week where I wasn't in training, you know, so everything I, I ate, slept, dreamt, moved, breathed football and this vision of making it to the NFL. Um, all of that being said, you know, I started getting a lot of attention. My sophomore year, I was put on the varsity squad. I was a starter. I was dominating again, you know, at, at 15, 16 years old, 15 years old. I was already 6'6", 275 pounds, starting at right tackle on the varsity team and doing really well. So shortly thereafter that season, I started getting scholarship offers from just about every school in the country, every D1 university there was. I had the whole Pac-10. I had Oklahoma, Tennessee, um, you know, LSU, these really huge named schools. And, I mean, what a blessing that was. You know, so what, what so an- why, why Arizona? When you think Arizona, you don't think, you know, you don't think football. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Um, Arizona, they were the first school to offer me. But somewhere along that line as well, I think it was probably my sophomore year in an English class, I fell in love with writing. And I learned that you could major in creative writing in college. And so I I got it fixed in my head that when I went to school, I was going to major in creative writing. And so whatever school out of the schools that offered me, 
Arizona was the only one that actually had a creative writing program specifically that you could major in. Um, and it was also one of the best creative writing programs in the country, in the, if not the world, is at the University of Arizona. Um, on top of that, you know, it was uh, the head coach, Mike Stoops. He was he was brand new there. And uh, Arizona had not been to a bowl game in over 10 years. And I really felt like I could be a part of that part of that crew to bring bring Arizona into the national spotlight, get us to a bowl game. And we eventually did that in my last year there in uh, 2008. We went to the Las Vegas Bowl, our first bowl game in over 10 years, and we beat BYU pretty handily in that game. And that started, you know, a nice little a nice little progression for the Arizona football program, which I'm, I'm really proud of being a part of that. Yes. Well, um, before, before we get into the kind of the draft process and stuff, I just want to dive in a little bit more on what you were talking about because – when you're when you're considered a big guy, and I was never as big as you, but you know when I graduated high school, I was about six four, about two seventy five, so you know probably bigger than the average bear. But most people look at us as just dumb jocks. Especially, yeah. yeah. And it's I don't know if it's because of the Archie comics, but it's just the they don't look at us as having more than multi uh, you know more than one facet in your life. Like I. I obviously I I did fairly well in in business class and I, I won my high school business award and but it's people are like oh they're 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 kind of surprised it's almost like when you see a pretty girl you, you don't assume that she's smart and same thing with uh you know it's, this is almost the equivalent for for guys and uh, it's nice to have someone that you know that can kind of break those stereotypes were you you know did yeah. anyone make fun of you when you're going to your English class and and really geeking out on you know catcher in the rye or something like that. Uh, you know, I mean, def I was always affected by that. You know, I was always, you know, sort of, I guess I could feel the energy or the, you know, presupposition of others that, you know, I was not a cerebral individual and that I was always judged purely for my, my physicality, my body. Um, you know, but that really looking back, that's all other people's, um, insecurities coming out, you know, they, because they can't think that this physical specimen could also have some great values, some great skills mentally as well. And so, you know, being somebody who cultivates those, you know, we, we are all human beings, you know, no matter what our bodies look like, you know, we all have the potential to, you know, cultivate a our intelligence our our sense of the world our knowledge and uh you know i always took a lot of pride in that and being having both you know having a foot in the physical warrior place and then also having a foot in this very much you know thinker this higher thinker uh uh, way of being. Um, and, and I, you know, I, and since I have continued to cultivate that with my, my podcast, the mindful warrior podcast, which we could talk about a little later. Um, but so at Arizona, I was, I, I had a, you know, again, I was very fortunate, a very fortunate 
you know, with a great group of people around me. Um, I, I had a great, we had a great strength and conditioning coach, great, great program there. So I was able to continue lifting and strengthening and, and taking care of training my body the way it needed to be to prepare for that next level. Um, and I got my creative writing degree in there as well. Um, and sometime right before my redshirt junior season, I redshirted as a true freshman, came in and started as a redshirt freshman the next year. Um, and then I started for three seasons, uh, freshman, redshirt freshman, sophomore, and then junior year. Right before my junior year, I started appearing on a lot of draft boards. Um, you know, the mock drafts had me going anywhere from, you know, mid to late first round to the early second round. And, you know, with that being my, you know, my lifelong dream, you know, I really felt like I had to jump on the opportunity while it was there, you know, given that I wasn't sure if about injuries, who knows, you know, one more season at Arizona, I could have had some sort of injury um, that could have negated that the the opportunity of being drafted in, in the first round. And so I went for it. And so I declared for the draft and in, in late in at the end of my season in 2008. And I started preparing for the draft, the, the combine and my pro day up at a place called API Athletes Performance Institute, which is now called Exos. It was up there in Phoenix. Yeah, Arizona. Uh, yeah. And that was really, you know, six weeks of from dusk till dawn, nonstop football training, whether it was weights and strength training to speed and agility work to classroom work, get, getting a feel for, you know, what these interviews would be like with the teams, the potential teams that were going to be drafting me, meeting with coaches um, on and on, you know, it's just a nonstop, um, circle of, of work and grind on your way into that draft in April. It's funny cause you, you talk about the draft process, but you're basically talking about your, you're basically a piece of meat, you're cattle and you're moving the, you know, cattle prodded moving along uh, the belt. But, uh, and for someone, for someone like you, it must've been a complete, like uh, a bit of a mind fuck cause you're, you're really trying to become a better person and do all stuff. But during those, whatever, two months, actually, well, I guess it's longer to go from like your bowl game to uh, yeah. first training camp, you know, like you're basically, there's no, you know, people don't ask you how you feel. People don't ask you, you know, uh, what, what's your favorite book or they might in, in the interviews, but uh, it's a totally different, like you're, you're considered a commodity and yeah. uh, a machine. And, and, and that's, I find that fascinating. And, I, I'm lucky, I guess, in one way. I'm lucky I never had to go through that, but it's uh, it, it it still fascinates me to this day. And uh, you know, um, it's yeah, it must have been a crazy process going to first camp. Crazy process, you know, crazy process. You know, at the time I was a 21 year old kid, um, and you know, you're chasing this dream. I was chasing this dream. And you really just, yeah, exactly. You're getting prodded along. You're doing whatever is told of you to do. Um, and uh, you you begin to, that's sort of the beginning of this breaking down of the, of the individual's, you know, person, personal psyche 
in a way that you just become another cog in the wheel. You become, you know, humbled by the experience of making it to the NFL, even though you have spent, you the individual have spent your entire life, countless hours preparing yourself to make it to the NFL. By the time you get there, they are telling you what a what a privilege it is for you to be there. And, you know, they do that with, you know, projecting this idea of protect the shield. Um, it's a privilege to be here. You know, you should be humbled to even walk in these hallways. And let's leave your personal ideas and the way you think about the world and your own feelings about things. Let's leave that outside. Those have no place here. And, and, uh, that's, and that's crazy, and especially in this world that we live in now. Before we get into a bit more of that, what was your wonder lake? My wonder lake was pretty high. I think I scored um, 29 on the wonder lake. Okay. So that's a little bit higher than Jamarcus Russell and those guys. Yeah, 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 a little higher than those guys. <laughs> I was one of the highest for the offensive line, so that was cool. Yeah. Um, so it was good. Yeah, I had a solid score on that thing. Yeah. So you, if you would have been a little shorter, you could have played center, which is the best position. But yeah, absolutely, man. I even tried. I tried to transition to center very briefly in Chicago. If yeah. I think if I could have made that transition a little smoother, I might have gotten about five more years out of my career. But um, it just it was it was a little too late for me to, to dive into that in my training and training camp. The um, my year. Yeah, the it's and it's not easy. And people just think that you're just interchangeable. And uh, but there's a lot of intricacies. I mean, I I, I learned how to snap fairly early in my, well, non-illustrious career, so that helped a lot. And I was tall for, for a center in Canada, but uh, it, is a, it is a nice skill, nice skill to have. Yeah, definitely, man. The, um, I, I'd like to get into a little more meat of this because, I mean, I, I'm kind of torn. Like, it's, I'll be honest with you, like, I love the game of football, and it's helped me a lot. Uh, even though obviously I, I didn't go pro or anything, but it's it's helped me a lot as a growing and teamwork and work ethic and all this good stuff. So that that's a great part, confidence, all this stuff. As a, you know, a heavier set kid, football is the only thing you can kind of go in and beat someone up sure. and, and not go to the principal's office. Yeah, exactly. And but on the other side, and I'm lucky. I never had a diagnosed concussion. And I'm you know I have, uh, but I know a lot of my friends. Other than my back injury, which was fairly significant at the time, but now I've been healthy for over a decade. But uh, there's a lot of people like football just spits out, chews and spits out people. And I mean, you, you've seen it probably more than the average person. How do you like do you? How, what do you think of football? Is it good? Is it bad? Man, um, it's a tough question. You know, I think that. Football very much warps many men's egos and minds. Um, I think that, you know, like you said, I've learned a ton of really valuable lessons from the game of football. I learned even more lessons from the business of football in the NFL. Um, I've learned a lot about toughness, about how to push through, about... Um, mental fortitude, 
Uh, I've learned a ton about the importance of, of teamwork and tribal community, having that. Um, yet, you know, I'm not sure the value of it when it comes to the amount of damage it's doing to to men, you know, to, to people's bodies, to their minds. You know, when you take a look at the New York Times article that said 110 out of 111 NFL brains tested positive for CTE, which is chronic traumatic encephalopathy, the, you know, which the symptoms of are dementia, early onset Alzheimer's, uh, depression, severe depression, suicide. Um, and, you know, that's all, it's almost a 98% instance. Now, obviously that, that that study was biased and that, you know, the the samples that were included were all, um, you know, suggested to have had CTE. Um, however, 89 percent of all brains tested from high school players to the NFL tested positive for CTE on the spectrum of CTE. Um, you know, this is a degenerative disease. That, you know, like you, I was never diagnosed with a concussion. However, looking back on my career, I know there are a handful of times where I had my bell rung and even a, uh, a, a number of instances where I was definitely concussed. You know, even though I didn't I didn't have those diagnosed, I didn't report those concussions. You know, those were those were times when, you know, my brain took a significant amount of damage. Um and I know that I'm not the only guy that has gone through his football career and not reported a concussion. Um, you know, the other issue with it is that the NFL, I'm not sure how the CFL does it, but the NFL doesn't do doesn't offer a whole lot in the way of, you know, emotional, spiritual support for players in their life after. You know, yes, we have these programs and we can go and we can learn how to become a broadcaster on ESPN and just speak the gospel and talk about how awesome it is to be in the NFL and continue doing that for the rest of our lives. Meanwhile, you know, our family lives fall apart and we forget how to say our own name. Uh, we can go and get financial programs and learn how to be entrepreneurs, but yet there's nothing to help guys into their transition into life after the fact. You know, guys, like I said, you know, I came into the league and I was a 21 year old kid and I was indoctrinated by this idea that, you know, I'm solely a football player, even though I had that artistic background. You know, my family is very blended with artists and athletes. I feel very blessed for that. Um, my my grandmother is an Academy Award winning actress, Estelle Parsons. She won Best Supporting Actress for Bonnie and Clyde. And my grandfather, her husband, her late husband is a guy named Richard Gaiman, famous American novelist. Um, you know, my father is a painter. The paintings that you saw earlier behind me are, are all done by him. He was also a Division One basketball player. My mother, you know, a journalist for many years in New York City herself. You know, so I had this very I had very much a duality in who I was growing up. Yet, you know, my my venture, the deeper I went into football, it really became clear that that was how I identified myself. That's how I was identified by all the people around me, whether it was family or friends. 
you know, and to be such a young guy who you just get thrown into this thing and it's a, it's a constant prodding. Like you said, you're just constantly being prodded to the next thing. You know, here we go to a meeting guys. There's a meeting. Now we got practice. Now we got weightlifting. Now we got more meetings. Now you're getting traded. Now you're a free agent. Now you're going somewhere else, you know, and this becomes how you live your life. So you have very little sense of the, the, the workings of the outside world, you know, how to, you know, how to engage with your family, you know, how to engage with, with a partner in a relationship, how to manage finances yourself, how to balance a budget, how to create a life for yourself. That's something that you want. You know, we don't have these skills as, as football players coming into this world. And so that was really, you know, that's where I begin to see the disconnect of, you know, the glory of the NFL, the bright lights, the red carpet, the glamour of it all to the reality, which is, you know, very real. It's very real. It's very dark. It's very hard. There isn't a whole lot of, of resources for guys um, to reestablish themselves in life after football. Yeah, and and the NFL needs to do more, more to more to handle that. And I think, you know, for just to wrap that up, you know, I think that's where cannabis really can, can come in to to be an, an, an initial um, aid to that issue. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's it's very true. And a lot of uh, you brought up a good point about the financial part. I mean, most uh, there's studies after studies that go to pro athletes are the worst with their money. And yeah. they, most of them go bankrupt after uh, being out of the league for, for a year or two. Your, your, uh, your podcast mate, uh, Nate Jackson, wrote a great book about kind of the inner world. Love that book. Absolutely yeah. love it. So tell him thanks, by the way, next time you talk to him. It's a great, great book. Uh, Terry I definitely Cruz, will. Yeah, Terry Cruz. I don't know if you read, got to read his book. Um, I didn't, but I love Terry yeah. Cruz. I'll have to read it. Yeah, man. very good book. And I loved how he looked at how his view of manhood as a kid, you know, growing yeah. up in a somewhat dysfunctional family. Um, and then, you know, uh, and the NFL and all that stuff, all that's totally screwed him up. And yeah, talking, definitely. talking to a couple of friends that played pro and, uh, again, and I, having read a great book called pros and cons about all the convicts in the NFL, it just makes you realize like there's so much more. Most of the, most of the, not most, but a lot of the athletes that are making the NFL are from, um, from, you know, disadvantaged uh, means. And for them, the only way to get out is to play pro whatever. And they don't come from a, a, a family, a, you know, a loving family with a, a perfect support system. So they have no idea of what it is they're supposed to do. And so their identity is, like you just said, there's comp- always reinforced with complete, you know, almost like, uh, you know, doctrine. And yes. you're, if you don't know, uh, what, what's up, what's down. It's, you know, it, you're, I think you're one of the lucky ones in terms of you're well grounded. You're fairly had a very holistic approach to, to life, but I'm sure, you know, dozens, if not hundreds of, of players that are completely lost now. Absolutely, you know? man. It's and, heartbreaking. Yeah. And, and I mean, I only saw, and I saw a couple that are still, you know, they're like Al Bundy's of the world. They're still talking about their, you know, scoring four, four touchdowns in a high school football game. It's like, I mean, I have, I've talked more about football in this podcast than, now than I've talked, probably talked in the last year. I mean, I yeah, enjoyed watching absolutely. it. Absolutely. And it's like, and, and you're right, like the relationship stuff, um, 
it's tough, but it's uh, they don't. There's no, you know, there's when you're going to school. Uh, I don't know how tough Arizona was, but if you're in a good program, I'm sure it wasn't easy. If you're going yeah. to school playing football, and then you know, and then obviously weightlifting, and well, you probably didn't have to work, but some of us didn't have a full ride, so we had to work a little bit. There's no time to work on those people skills. You just get drunk and go back to practice the next day. But it's, uh, I think you're, it's, it's something that kind of gets lost. And you're, you're right. I wish there was more um, supports for, and and it's not just athletes. It's for anyone that gets really caught up in one thing, whether you're an artist yeah. or uh, obviously, Military. yeah, everything. It's uh, yeah. The good thing is I think we're talking a little bit about uh, a lot more about it now, uh, but it's still a, I think we have a long, long way to go. Yeah. Well, I think men are in a bit of a crisis at the moment. You know, yeah. we yeah. have not, we males have not had great role models as to, you know, how to be, how to truly be a man who's strong um, and as well strong, not only physically, and outwardly, but also, you know, emotionally and, and with the inner self, you know, and able to face those demons of ourselves and understanding, you know, what's right and what's wrong and, and how to act as as men in this world. Yeah, for sure. And, and I, I'm probably going to get, you know, uh, in trouble for saying this, but it's not easy being a man in today's age. Absolutely, and, man. And yeah. uh, I mean, the. Terry Crews' book is a great way, uh, and I, that's why I love it so much because he talks a lot, a lot about those issues. He had a poor yeah. addiction, you know, being obviously women thrown at him as a former NFL guy, then he became an athlete, or sorry, yeah. an actor. Uh, yeah. Lewis Howes, a former, another former football player, had a great book about the masculine masculinity. Again, yes. a great one. It's, uh, and, but we're in, I talked a little bit about this uh, on, a, on the blog before because one of my football, uh, my teammates and my roommates, took his own life about four years ago. Oh, and yeah. I'm pretty sure that CTE had something to do with it, but also the whole culture we're in. Yeah. About like, you have to be tough. Like it's, if yeah. you're not, if you're not tough, then you're a pussy. And then you're, yeah. you know, um, and, uh, yeah. and I, I've come clean with some depression stuff that I've dealt with. And yeah. It's, but it's not cool. Like it's, you know, I think we're still in a better place than we were five years ago or 10 years ago. But, um, yeah. Like people, no, no one wants to, you know, no one wants to, I mean, my, my good friends and my family will listen to me, but most people are like, just shut up and put on a smile. Yeah. Well, that's not real, man. We can't do that. You know, yeah. I think, you know, we're, we're entering this phase of truth, man, where we all have to be just true about, be honest about what we're going through and how we're feeling and, and what we're dealing with, you know? And I think that's a big part of it for men is just talking about, you know, the, the amount of depression we feel, the, the shame, the, you know, whatever it is, the anxiety attacks that we might have, you know, all these different issues. Um, you know, it's not just being tough is not just a physical thing. Being tough is a fucking it's a deeply spiritual way of being, you know, where where you're facing those those inner demons that we all have. I mean, you know, I, I talk about it all the time on our podcast, you know, the things that I've, I've dealt with from depression and anxiety to, you know, loss of sense of self, loss of identity um, to, you know, the shame of, of being, 
you know, experiencing that death, the grieving of that death, you know, as a former pro football player, you know, reaching the, the, the peak of this mountain only to come tumbling down or at least, you know, in your own mind, you know, in your mind's eye, it's this tumbling down, but really it's just a, a transition into the next life. So I think it's really important that we just continue to, to be open and honest about it. And that's really why, you know, I felt I continue to feel compelled to speak honestly about cannabis and even Adderall, you know, at this time, I mean, just, just from a, a baseline uh, place, you know, cannabis can really solve two issues that the NFL is currently dealing with. Um, it can solve the CTE issue. Uh, the federal government, the U.S. federal government, has a patent on cannabinoids as neuroprotectants and antioxidants. That means that they have seen through science and research that cannabinoids actually protect the brain from damage and help the brain heal uh, following uh, an injury. Um, so that right there, you know, for me, I was a guy, I used cannabis throughout my football career. Uh, very mo much more prevalent in my NFL career when I was able to navigate the drug testing system. Um, but I feel as though it was really something that helped keep me off the pills. And it helped get me to a place after my career where, you know, for the most part, I had my my brain and my body intact. Um, I think that the NFL needs to immediately start changing a, a change its policy on cannabis by taking it off the banned substance list and then start researching it. Start giving it to players and see see what happens, see how much better their brains are doing. So I think they'll they'll have a really positive correlation there. Um, and then the second part is, you know, pro football players are four times as likely to abuse opiates. I had plenty of access to opiates, had my own experience with them. They made me feel awful. Everything from extreme sensitivity and irritability to, you know, rage on the surface to insanity, mental insanity made it difficult for me to sleep, waking up at two, three o'clock in the morning, craving more pills in the, in the throes of withdrawals. Um, you know, cannabis was really the one thing throughout that, that helped my body heal, helped me come back from long days of a physical and mental grind. And it helped me, uh, ease the tension in my body, ease the stress in my mind and helped me be a, a functioning husband to my wife and, a, a, a father to my daughter. And, you know, really allowed my body to heal and recover for another day of the grind. Um, and so I believe that, you know, many of the issues, you know, those being just sort of the on the paper things the NFL can look at, you know, I'm, I'm talking about I think cannabis can heal much of the mental mental illness issues at the NFL that NFL players are unknowingly facing every day. The domestic violence, the you know the uh, the abuse, the um, the cheating, the infidelity that NFL players experience and their families experience, the you know um, the the pill use, and then you know helping the brains to heal. I think that it could have a, a tremendous effect on that across the board. 
So why, why do you think the NFL is not allowing cannabis? Well, I think there's a lot of money keeping it out. Um, I think that they are a very, um, you know, traditionally minded group of, of people, the NFL, the owners. You know, they're very wary of, quote unquote, protecting the shield. And they have this idea that, you know, cannabis being this illegal, federally illegal substance, you know, that has no place in the in the family world of the NFL. Um However, you know, they're they're not ashamed to put alcohol brands all over their stadiums and, <laughs> and advertise, you know, beer commercials and, and pill commercials on every NFL game you'd see. Um, and so I think it's an image thing right now. I think it's a PR PR play on their point. God knows how many dollars alcohol companies and, and pharmaceutical pill companies are pumping into the league to, to keep them on the anti-cannabis bandwagon. Uh, but I think that they are being ushered towards having to, to allow it. Uh, I think the issues with concussions will continue to rise and continue to be a problem for them. Um, and they're going to need to find a solution. And, and right now there is no better solution than cannabis for these athletes. I mean, obviously we could talk about a myriad of other holistic remedies to brain injuries, be it meditation, um, and fasting. But, you know, the, the one medicine that seems to have the, the most potent neuroprotective effect right now are cannabinoids, are the, the chemical compounds found in the cannabis plant. So I think that that's their number one place to start. Um, and uh, I think that they have an opportunity to be the innovators in that space, you know, of the health of athletes and brain science and what it can do for people. So I think that they're moving in the direction of it. You know, you see movement with Roger Goodell's made comments at last year's draft. It'll be interesting to see the cannabis conversation this year um, at this year's draft and, and coming into this new season. Um, and, you know, I think that owners are really starting to see the light with cannabis. Uh, I think that we would be naive to think that NFL owners have not already begun their their, you know, journey into cannabis, whatever that means, whether it's investing in the cannabis industry or actually starting to, you know, put together groups of doctors, scientists, whoever it might be to formulate some sort of product that they can start providing the players with for before practices and after games. Um, I think that, you know, these these billionaires are definitely on the ball as far as what's happening in the world. And you'd have to be deaf, dumb and blind not to take some notice of what's going on in the cannabis industry at the moment and the cannabis movement and seeing all the science that's emerging. Um, so I think that they're that, you know, the day is coming where they will allow it is is fastly approaching. And I, I, um, I've never, uh, I've never done drugs in my entire life, and um, I'm actually um, tempted. And I, I've read a lot of studies, and I've been educating myself about about cannabis. And it's, 
I'm getting there. And it's also for some of the folks in, in my life that have been dealing with chronic illness or and chronic pain uh, and where, you know, the, the stuff that they've been giving is is crap and not been able to, to help them. Um, I, I know I, I, I think it's it's uh, it's a much safer alternative to all the other stuff. It's um, I, I think we're getting like you said, we're we're going in the right direction. In a lot of places. And as you probably know, uh, in Canada, we're supposed to legalize it in July. So yeah. when we move, uh, when we do legalize, are you going to move to Canada or what? <laughs> Man, I love Canada, dude. I, I definitely, uh, come visit a lot more than I, than I have. I got to come out to Toronto, uh, last year, um, to meet with this company called Herb and do a, a cool little uh, interview with them, with some other former NFL guys. Um, but I don't know. Right now, I'm pretty happy in California, man. Yeah, well, you, you do have the weather on your side. I'll give you yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm definitely not – I'm, I'm a big fan of Canada. And, and I mean, we, we have a lot of good people, and apparently uh, from people that know this stuff, apparently we have pretty good weed too, so – um, I, I couldn't tell you what's good or what's bad, but, uh, uh, apparently we're, and especially now that it's, it's on its way to being legalized across the country. Um, there's tons of money research yeah. and uh, like some pretty sharp minds all flowing into the, the cannabis industry. So it's, uh, Absolutely. It's a, yeah, it's a pretty cool, uh, it's a pretty cool time to, uh, to, to be living these days. Definitely, man. Definitely. Well, I want to uh, thank you for um, for taking time and uh, for educating us a little bit on uh, on some of this stuff. We'll have to get you back on and, and bro out some more about uh, all the football and all this stuff. And before yeah, you can, before I let you go, we could talk Adderall. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I actually I'm lucky. I, I was on Ritalin as a kid. I have ADD. I diagnosis, not self diagnosis, and I yeah. was on it for a while. And then it. I didn't really react well, and then my mom and I kind of sat down and we said we're not doing this. So I had to basically uh, deal with it, um, you know, in, in other ways. And that's where for me sports was huge. Uh, if it wasn't for sports, I wouldn't have been able to. Uh, I used to go to the principal's office all the time, so I was bored and pitching. Yeah, and but, of course. Uh, and it's funny because when I watched a documentary you're in uh, called Take Your Pills. I, I was telling myself if Adderall was around when I was a kid, I'd be an addict for sure. sure. Yeah. I'd for sure be an addict. Uh, sure. And I would probably have led to more other stuff, but I, I'm lucky that I got, off. I was on it for probably about a year and I got off cause I, I felt like a zombie and, uh, and it, it's not, t it's not easy. Like I have, I literally like I have the brain of a squirrel sometimes, but yeah, uh, I deal with it in other ways. And, uh, yeah, exactly, man. You talk about that, you know, for me, it's yoga, running, flotation tanks, uh, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, again, one, two, two more questions before I let you go. One is a question I ask all my guests uh, is this being Wellness Wednesdays, what does wellness mean to you? Mm, that's a great question, man. I love the name, too. Thank you. Because um, I feel like that's really the overarching idea of what I'm all about is how do we get to overall wellness? And, uh, you know, for me, that's really living this holistic lifestyle. 
you know, I wake up every morning and I start it with a, a 30 minute meditation followed by, you know, my own prayers um, and uh, a really a settling into uh, a good foundation of self-love so that I can project that out into the world. I fast through the morning. I do intermittent fasting. Yeah, I'm fasting you know, right now and it's, it's six o'clock my time. So I'm doing a three day fast right now. So. I, I, Beautiful. I, get, I get, I get it. Yeah. Fasting is, I, fasting is something that I've really come into in my life after football. And man, it is just a magical thing, you know, for helping your body reset, get back to neutral, getting, clearing out toxins, um, all of it for helping the brain heal. I'm, I'm a huge advocate for fasting. Uh, and then, you know, being mindful of what you eat. Um, thinking about, you know, what you're putting into your body, you know, I'm not so dogmatic on, on what that needs to be as far as being like a vegan or vegetarian, or, you know, now you're having even the other side, this carnivore diet come out, which I know you, you interviewed somebody about it yeah. pretty recently. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm somewhere in the middle, I believe, you know, eat a ton of great vegetables. You can't go wrong. I do high fat. I do butter, grass-fed butter, a lot of coconut oil. I do good grass-fed meats, um, local and organic as possible. Um, you know, and then and then really being of service to your community, being of service, getting yourself out there, whatever that means, doing something for somebody when nobody else is watching. Um, you know, offering a hug to a friend. Being, being, you know, supportive and, and loving to your loved ones, to your family, and just cultivating this life. You know, I believe that that equals total wellness. And so that's really what it means to me. I like it. Uh, I especially like the fact that you, you talk about the, the service. Uh, and it's something that gets overwhelmed. But there, there's lots, been lots of research about volunteering uh, increases your level of wellness almost instantly. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's something I, I believe in as well. So again, thank you so much for taking the time out of your, um, out of your busy day. Uh, and where can people find out more about you, about your, uh, the entire lifestyle that you lead, all the cool stuff that you're doing? Check me out on my Instagram at E as in elephant, D as in dog, S as in snake, Britain, B R I T T O N. So my Instagram at EDS Britain, uh, you can check me out. Twitter, it's the same EDS Britain. Um, my Facebook page, Eben Britain. Um, also mindful warrior podcast. Check us out. We're on iTunes. We're on Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, uh, also iHeartRadio. You could find that website, uh, mindful warrior podcast.com. Uh, and that's that's really about it, man. I really appreciate you having me on, and and uh, thank you for what you're doing. Well, it's it's the least I could do, uh, being a former journalist and then being really uh, curious and and really gung ho about wellness. It's nice to be able to connect with people and talk about their wellness journey. So I link to all that stuff in the show notes. And uh, again, thank you so much for for taking time to uh, shed a little bit of light on uh, what wellness means to you. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it, Eric. Yeah. You've been listening to Wellness Wednesdays. I'm your host, Eric Collard. Until next week, be well. Be well.